Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello and welcome to the China Shop. Get on inside. We're opening up special store hours with the amazing team at Orderflow Labs. I'm Shopkeeper Dan. With me, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. Kyle, on a scale of one to Tom Cruise jumping up on Obra's table, how excited are you today? Oh, man, I was trying to think of an answer to this, and it's not quite as excited as jumping up on the table, and that's only because I'm afraid I might have to open up and learn some really... (laughs) I have to learn more about myself, and sometimes that could be a scary process. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm excited, but I'm also a little bit apprehensive, a little bit nervous. All right, so you're you're a real Marty McFly of the situation. I'm kind of the bald high school principal, and we're proud, proud to welcome the Doc Brown of the situation, Flair. Flarry, how are you doing today, Flarry? Ready to get back to the futures? I'm <laughs> getting back to the futures. I don't know if I've ever been referred to as the Doc Brown of anything. So I'll take it. Great Scott, Kyle. That was an awful trade. Right. <laughs> there has not been any DMs like that yet. As long as I don't have to stand on my toilet and bash my head in order to know what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> so we got any uh, big news coming out of Orderflow Labs you'd like to share today? Before we could jump in and dive on in? Yeah, so Orderful Labs launching officially on the Motive Wave platform here June uh, 1st. Ooh, uh, nice. So just, just about uh, a week away from recording this and probably just a, a day or so away from, from the launch here or the release of this uh, podcast. So uh, very shortly. So by the time you're listening to it, uh, you know, either a day away or, or right there and, um, you know, uh, some of the members from the team are going to be doing a few other kind of cool promotional things throughout. So definitely look out for that. There'll, there'll be some offers, um, whether you're in Motive Wave, Ninja Trader, or uh, Sierra Chart. So that kind of uh, closes the trifecta of the big three there. So pretty excited just about that. Think or swim, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about the swim piece. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> they cut the commissions in half for everybody. Uh, I know, right? Maybe. Okay. Well, Kyle. Yes. Shall Shall you uh, guide us into this experience? Get Get this party started. So the idea for this series is going to be to try to take somebody who, like me, kind of has some idea of what he's doing but is not necessarily a profitable trader. Yeah. And we're going to spend some time with Flarry. He's going to guide us through some of the important things that we need to know in order to actually become a profitable trader. Taking us through this first episode, which is going to be more of like a foundational building blocks, uh, and then hopefully culminating at the conclusion of the series with me and the listeners actually being profitable and trading well. Wow, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> What's the idea? <laughs> Especially seeing your trades come through in the last week or two. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You teed it up too perfect. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's oh, understandable. Man. But that's why I think we need to go back to the very, very beginning. Back to the futures. Yep. Do we just name this the the segment? Back, it's official. <laughs> I think that's probably what Dan's already worked out. 
I love it. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, we've got a short period of time here together each each uh, session, and uh, to to take anybody from any stage of trading to consistently profitable profitable is is quite the journey. But I think we can have some really fun conversations around uh, the things that we've we've been really successful with, and the things that uh, would maybe be some shortcuts for folks trying to work their way and navigate through all of the educational content that's out there, and all the offerings, and and just you know all the things that we can drum up uh, as far as like ideas mm-hmm. for edge and and you know maybe narrow that process down at the very least to um, make make the process more efficient for folks that are are kind of on a similar. I mean, journey. I know there's going to be a lot of work with this, and uh, that's uh, something that I'm you know ready to put in, but. One of the things that you spoke to when we first started doing this is about confidence, having the confidence in yourself to be able to click that button. And that's something that I think a lot of news traders, myself especially, really struggle with. So what I'm really looking for and really hoping to gain out of this entire experience is to have confidence in myself and my system and know that when I click the button, I'm making the right decision. It may not always work out, but I want to at least have the confidence to be able to do it. Yeah, and I think that's something that we all still struggle with, mm-hmm. right? Is is you you put all this time in, and you know we we've had this kind of uh, pre precursor to this conversation was like we talked about you put all this time in, you develop a process, and then you show up to the market, and then you you still just take trades in the middle of your zones and you know all mm-hmm. all over the place. <laughs> right. So, which which is a whole another maybe that's episode seven of this <laughs> right. uh, you know that mental <laughs> mental game, but. The, the key, though, is that we've, we've, we're constantly working towards filtering and distilling our process down to something that we have that confidence mm-hmm. in um, so that when we see it, we can hit it. Um, you know, Macro Tactical uh, has, has really instilled that in me. Great, great trader, good friend. And, um, you know, that, that mentality of understanding that you've done all of the work leading up to you clicking that button and the expected outcome is not a mystery. It's just a matter of, is this one of the times that the probabilities are going to be in your favor or not? And mm. how are you going to act when that plays out, however the market chooses to play it out? Because we, no, we, no, we have no choice. Like we're just, we click the button, like I said, like buy the ticket, uh, take the ride. You can't tell the driver where to go. not not in (laughs) queue no you can't but yeah i I think you know that confidence comes from understanding a bunch of things that that we're here i think in this conversation all right well where do you want to start uh yeah why don't we start with like that homework routine Uh, i call it homework but um why don't we start with just like generally um what does a process Mm -hmm. look like and then we can start, sort of jump into if we have a process and we have some trade theses, uh, what is sort of the anatomy of a trade and how do we build out a trade and understanding some of the, the math behind that. But, you know, from this homework perspective, I always call it homework. There's probably a better name for it. <laughs> I always just call it homework because that's what right. it feels like. And I do my and I do my charting usually in the evening time. Uh, versus uh, in the morning. The morning is usually just a little bit of a refresh. But, you know, one of the things that, that I had mentioned on Twitter recently was that anybody can draw lines on a chart. And actually, most of us do it pretty mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. If, if um, you know, Kyle, I know you're doing a lot of uh, like volume profiling with ledges and things like that. And, and the levels look really good, yep. right? And they, and they should because they're something that we've looked at a lot. But, you know, anyone can draw those lines on the chart. But it, the, the key, at least for me, and that what I, what I want to try to potentially instill or encourage people to do is to draw that same line mm-hmm. every day. and 
Then you watch how the market auctions around these lines, and then you can start to to take some notes. And if and really what we're saying, and kind of to tie it back to what you mentioned before, was consistency is if I draw the same lines on my chart every single day, and then I watch how the market interacts with those lines, and I'm not putting any of my own subjective nature into it. Um, it's just it's simply just journaling and notes around like, hey, what does it look like when we go through a mm-hmm. volume edge? Uh, or a ledge, and and what kind of price action can I expect? What kind of order flow can I expect to kind of come into the market? What kind of order flow do I not want? And so I, I think one of the biggest things that we can do is consistency. And that's kind of where I'll pull this back to is, you know, I look at the same uh, roughly eight things every single day. I look at sort of some high time frame uh, delta levels. I look at daily RTH delta levels. I look at open drive ranges. And if we're approaching uh, a previous open drive range, um, I look at uh, market profile TPO charts, which you know essentially they, they have volume profiles next to them. So kind of similar to mm-hmm. what you're doing, Kyle. And then I also look at some of the momentum uh, or trend following type things like uh, watching time frame alignment from say one hour to four hour daily and weekly charts from like a swing high low hmm. perspective. And so all of that basically just it, it's just a it's just a process. So the, the market closes, I go and I look to see if any of these things have updated. And in each of those homework things, I've then found a few like A plus versions of something that I want to look for. So you know for example, let's say I'm looking at our Delta you know, from like mm-hmm. a higher time frame. There's a pattern that we call the Leroy trade where uh, from session to session, say RTH uh, to, to the Asia session to the Euro session, that that is progressing higher. Each pivot is put in progressively higher. Well, when I come back down to the desk in the morning and I see that, I know that that box from the previous, uh, you know, RTH to this now Euro session that's closing, that box is going to be a great trading range for me uh, for breakouts in the direction of that, of that hmm. continuation. And so then I just look for confluence to other levels. So again, like to kind of tie this all back, the point is, is that it's the same lines every day. And then when we do the same thing every day, we can start to build confidence uh, in some of the observations that we're having around the market. Because, and again, this is just a personal thing, but for me, it's all about patterns. And, and really, it all just kind of drives back to that anyways, whether you're taking breakouts on you know, a new first one minute candle to make a new high mm-hmm. or something like that. Or if you're, uh, you know, using Orderful Labs tools and and you wait for price to come into an area of your interest and one of the execution tools to fire, like the the EAD or the Dominator or something like that, um, it really is just a, a sequence of patterns around these areas that we're we're looking at day in and day out. So again, consistency. It doesn't have to be eight things. As a matter of fact, it should probably only be about like three to five tops of some version of the way that you're going to generate areas of interest. To watch for the market. That's interesting. Actually, some of the the better momentum I think I started to get uh, was actually making part of my routine the doing the zonings in the morning. So at seven a.m. I get up. I, I get on the uh, the Discord here and our in our our Discord and uh, with one of the other members that jumps in there with me. And we plot out like where we think that the interesting levels are going to be. The part that I think I've been missing though is the journaling aspect and paying a lot more attention to what is going on as those levels interact. Um, I try to write down some observations, but uh, definitely doesn't sound like it's in depth to what you are recommending. So, what are some of the things that you're looking for when you see those interactions? Yeah, so we'll use an example of the session delta pivots, which is um, sort of one of my my intraday. Mm-hmm. 
you know, automated lines on the chart that come from RFLS, but, you know, anybody can really kind of look up uh, how to how to create these levels. Uh, there's YouTube videos out there that we've made on it. But as price approaches a reversion to mean version of this trade, so we're outside of, say, the pivot on one of the extensions, and I'm looking to take this trade from the extension back into the pivot. So I'm looking to revert to mean. Mm-hmm. When I see that trade, you know, uh, essentially I'm, I'm looking to trade from this extension back to the inside. I'm going to then watch, okay, what kind of patterns can I recognize about when we try to this. break back? And I want to kind of group those into two, um, two main categories. You know, what got in my way and pissed me <laughs> off, right? Like w- what made the trade not work? And, you know, and just general observations. And that can be something as simple as, um, you know, VWAP was in between my take profit one and the, you know, the extension or my entry, right? Okay. And you just, you just note that and you journal it. I, I do it in an Excel spreadsheet, but it doesn't matter, paper, whatever you do. Um, but, you know, it's kind of keywords. And then actually what's cool about Excel is then you can kind of filter that. Right. Um, but then, you know, you filter it and you go, okay, let's look at all my losing trades and then look, let's look at my notes or my observations from those. And all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute, you know, half of these losing trades, I've got this note that says VWAP in between entry and take profit one. Well, now I've got a little something to work with here. Uh And then I can go back and, and, you know, kind of do the same thing on the other bucket, like winning trades, Uh, winning trades. You know, what, what were some of the characteristics of my winning trades? Um, You know, it was, uh, it was the first rebid off of, off of a a higher high. We were building volume above the opening range. We're above the opening range. Again, like whatever these general observations are, um, you know, if you're using Artful Labs tools, maybe one of the execution tools fired, um, and, and brought you with momentum across the, the entry or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like kind of the, the, the point is it doesn't have to be some, you know, mind bending uh, back to the futures <laughs> you know, observation. It can just be something simple. Like it, it, it wasn't the afternoon, right? Like it, it was the morning and right. it was the first, it was the first hour and this trade uh, success rate is, is much higher in the first hour. Uh, you know, the afternoon, you don't see that bigger move that gives you the full reversion. I mean, again, anything that really just sticks out to you or anything at all. Um, and then you just start to filter that and you'll, you'll start to pick up some patterns on that. Like, you know, the view app was obviously one that, that I ran into on, on a reversion to mean trade. You don't want view app in the middle of your reversion to mean it tends to cause a problem or at least a slowdown. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you certainly don't want it before your take profit one, if your main target is, you know, on the other side of it or something like that. So I think that might've actually happened to me today. <laughs> <laughs> VLAB tends to get in the way sometimes, uh, or at least slow down your plan. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So the observation piece, I think, is 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 really big as well. And and again, you know, it doesn't have to be anything big. It can just be, um, you know, some of the things that that were frustrating. And and um, usually that usually they stick out because you see them over and over again. And and I think if you're really being honest with yourself, a lot of times you probably see it coming too. And if you take that note and you're like, ah. There's a, you know, there's a hundred lot on the offer and I just got long mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's refreshing. Uh, you know, I mean, we probably knew then this wasn't going to work. And, you know, if, if, if you're thinking it, at least then you sit through the trade um, and you let your bracket play out or whatever you do, at least take a note of something like that. If there's something that put, makes you uneasy, uh, it should probably end up in that journal around like how price is interacting with that level. That's an excellent point. There's been many a times where I think like, nah, I should probably flatten this and then by the time I actually go to do it, then it's either too late, you've already been taken out, or you're one or two ticks away from your stop, and you think, well, I might as well just let it play out now at this point. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I get in trouble when I'm like, I'll move the stop down a little bit to stay in the trade because I still I still believe. The, yeah, the moving the stop and the and the the hopium. The hopium. I mean, we're all there. <laughs> we're all there for sure. The hopium. <laughs> like, oh, this will work if I just give it five more points. Yeah. It'll work. But I the, the thing the thing too to tie back to the consistency is you really want this piece of consistency to be the few things that you can control, right? Like we can control when mm-hmm. we click the button, we can control how much, uh, how much size we use when we click the button. And we can, we can decide, you know, what are the parameters of our trade? Where am I going to exit this trade? Uh, whether it's a stop loss or, you know, we're scaling out or, or completely closing the trade uh, in a profitable situation. So, you know, we can control only so many things and so we might as well um, keep these things very consistent so that we can at least put them through a good feedback loop because without consistency, there is no feedback. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest piece that a lot of folks miss is they're jumping around and they're trying a bunch of different strategies. And, and although I think that's a great thing to do because that's, that's certainly how you discover um, you know, a lot of the things that you probably ultimately will fold into your process, but you need a process for that as well. You can't just right. let everything come in. You can't throw it all on the wall and see what sticks. You have to be uh, intentional about, um, you know, leaving some of those, some of the noise out and then, you know, kind of maybe let a few other people decide for you. Like, Hey, uh, you know, Dan's doing really well with uh, these reversion to mean trades with the session Delta pivot. So then Kyle kind of picks it up. And it's like, yeah, maybe I'll spend a little bit of my time that I've allocated to chart work to looking at that, some of the patterns. And once you find that, Mm -hmm. then, you know, potentially you can, you can work it into your process, but without consistency, there is no, there is no feedback loop because we're just constantly changing things. If you're moving your stop, if you're taking profits too early, if on this trade you were in, you know, your, your two lots in this trade, you were in five and in this one, you were in 10, how are you going to be able to um, accurately, you know, find some consistency around (laughs) the emotions that you put in. And so I think especially as new traders, that's super important because it's one of the few things that you can really control, especially when you're probably not going to be creating uh, and observing the market as sharply as someone who's been doing this for several years or decades um, and has that comfortability because they're already comfortable with the market. You're not. Mm -hmm. And so, again, controlling those few things that we can, the areas where we do business, um, and that comes from drawing the same dang lines on your chart every single day. Um, you know, how much size that we use and, you know, when we decide to click that button and, um, you know, the observations around the market when we do that. And, and, and then you've got a great feedback loop and that's a great place to start because um, now you can start to use your stats and you can start to use some of your general notes to improve on what you're doing. And all of that kind of comes together to one thing that I like to call like, is it paying rent? Mm-hmm. And so if you find something in your process, like, you know, again, this reversion to mean trade and, um, you know, you, you've, you've maybe taken the time, you've, you've traded it a hundred times in SIM, you know, whatever, it, it's a good place to practice. Um, or you've taken a hundred trades on, you know, your, your most comfortable size of risk and you have some good notes on it and you have some feedback. Now we can make a decision and let's say, you know, that trade didn't work out well for us. And and we, you know, we didn't see any patterns that we were really confident in. Uh, The few winners that we did have in this trade, um, the risk to reward ratio maybe didn't quite, um, you know, 
satisfy uh, how, how many times we would have to take this trade. And the potential of the trade is uh, shadowed by sort of the risk of the trade. And we can filter that out. So that, that trade's not paying rent anymore. And so now we've freed up more time to focus our attention from a homework perspective in other areas that might pay rent, um, you know, potentially different lines on our chart or different patterns, maybe just around the same lines. Mm-hmm. Because you know maybe maybe those areas are still good, and we just need to find another way to work those areas. Do you ever re, uh, revisit a, a setup that maybe you didn't like in the past, but you know you learn some more stuff, come back to it like six months later, and then tr- test it out again to see if maybe now <laughs> there's a difference? Yeah, yes, I do. Um, and usually when I'm struggling, which is funny, um, uh-huh. if I'm if I'm going through a, a tough sort of like you know week, month, whatever it looks like, and I just feel like I can't click. Um, you know, click with with the markets, and it's just not working. I can't click the buttons right. I'll, I'll almost always go back to like the good old trustees, <laughs> and some of those I don't even use too much anymore, which is funny. But like a lot of like simple price action stuff, uh, like pop pullbacks, and and just like trading retracements, and you know, maybe even get the old fib tool out. Just like <laughs> something that can just be. <laughs> come on, see, you guys have been there, right? <laughs> yeah. So something that can just like at least I can like no brain consistency this thing for a little bit and build a little bit of confidence back. You know, especially with the trade that I have some confidence in, or, or one that you know, I've, you know, I've fired off a thousand of these trades, and I just kind of know um, that I can lean on this and and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So certainly dust off the old ones uh, from time to time. <laughs> uh, you mentioned, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, uh, risk management and position sizing. Do you want to speak a little more towards that? Yeah. So I think this is the next big piece of the puzzle because, you know, like we just talked about, there's there's a need for consistency in the areas where we want to do business. Mm-hmm. And we're going to filter those areas uh, that we want to do business through just observation and um, some information about how successful these trades were. So the next piece is like designing sort of a trade. And I think what we'll do is as this conversation continues, we'll dive into more about like what is the specific anatomies of some of the trade styles because there is no right or wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there, there's definitely math that we can use to decide whether or not what we're doing will work in the long run and or um, you know how volatile what we're doing will be if we continue to do it that way. And so I think the two things that we can sort of um, wrap our heads around and, and potentially would be you know, a good takeaway for, for those listening to, to review if you haven't heard of this is understanding um, how much of our account we're going to use um, on each trade. And there's a great process for this that, that kind of uh, designs some of the math. And it was, it was developed by um, uh, a few folks, but uh, the Kelly Criterion, and then it was sort of made popular by Ed Thorpe, who turned that Kelly Criterion into uh, a strategy for beating blackjack. So mm. um, essentially what this is, is optimal bet sizing. And so they, they can take how much money we have in an account, uh, in your trading account, in your bankroll for blackjack, whatever it is. And you can decide what is the optimal bet size given how much money I have in my account and the success rate of the of the probability of me winning and losing. Mm-hmm. And so through that formula, you can sort of decide how much that you should be um, allocating from a risk perspective for each trade. And so that Kelly criterion um, is usually a bit aggressive. And there's kind of two different um, schools of thought here of like, you know, on, on the full Kelly criterion, um, you're using a pretty large amount of your capital um, 
in order to optimize the times that you're successful. And as long as you can keep up your win rate, uh, in theory, a risk of ruin should be pretty low. Um, I, what I personally do is about a third of a Kelly. Uh, so fractional Kelly is what they call it. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it ends up being roughly about like one to 2% of your entire um, account for for each trade's risk. And, and what this does is, it takes your actual stats into play. So let's say that you have, um, you know, stats uh, across, say, like three or four setups that you're doing, and you can pull these stats out, and you know that on average, um, you are going to return, say, a two to one win rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, across all of your trades. And that's with you taking profit early sometimes. And that's with you, you know, holding like, you know, super runners one day and, and just that whole average, uh, for the most part, you're going to be about a two to one. Uh, you can enter that information in and it will tell you sort of what your optimal trade size is based upon um, all of this information. So I think that's really important for people to know. It doesn't have to be the Kelly criterion, but I think it's a really good place to look uh, around the thought process of what goes into deciding how much risk you should allocate and how important that actually is to your survival. Hmm. You know, and I think it's, it's yeah, obviously risk, it, you know, it, it's the most important thing that we can do here. It's probably one of the things that we all struggle with. I know I have a, a massive issue um, with allocating too much risk at times. And, uh, you know, I think especially as new traders, um, you know, we get it right sometimes and you see that potential, right? Like you get it right. right. And you go, wow. Look at that trade. Did you like, you know, you, you hit that first, like whatever the big trade is for you in your head, right? Like you, whether it's 500 bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever it was, uh, you hit that first one and you go, wow, I can do this. I can do this every day. If I took five trades like this and you're, you know, you're napkin mathing your Ferrari. And, <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, you, you got the house, the house on the lake already, and all the things, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think what's what's important there is understanding how to how to kind of build up to that point because we can get those things right, whether it is that what you want or whatever. But um, if you, if you just go in this thing, you know, and, and you make one good trade and. You know, there were some mistakes that were baked into that process, like you were oversized uh, or even undersized potentially. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're just you're not going to be as efficient as you could. So I think um, the Kelly Criterion is a great place to start to just understanding bankroll management, account size management and risk management. Because, again, this is something that we can control. So when we're new, we should focus a ton of our attention on the things that we can control. And, um, you know, I had this conversation with a good friend of mine, uh, Baba Yaga. Uh, on Twitter the other day as we were kind of preparing for this and, and talking. And this is something we talk about a lot, but um, these these controllables, especially as new traders come in, they they should take up so much more of your attention than like dreaming up like the perfect setup and trying to find like this, you know, magical uh, thing that you can, you know, you're going to trade the opening range perfect every day, whatever that is. There's these few things that you can control and those should be the things that you know inside and out. Like you should understand why you allocate, you know, a third Kelly on every position and how you decided that you're a 40% win rate or a 60% win rate. How honest are you about those stats? How accurate are those stats? Those things we can dive into and be really, really intimate with what those numbers are. And then what what is the importance of those numbers to us, right? So if we can put together a system that 
you know, has us driving a Ferrari in, in three months, but it's going to put us in such stress that, you know, we're, <laughs> we're having a hard time, you know, maybe you have another job, right? Or, you know, your you know, family and all the things that, you know, can kind of bring into a factor, like, we should really take the time with these few things that we can control to be able to really fully explain them, understand them, know them forwards and backwards, and use that as sort of this foundation of, of good trading. Like, I know why I draw these levels every day. I know why I risk $160 per trade and I trade, you know, whatever it is, like a four micros or something, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I know why. I don't take profit before, you know, 40 points or, or whatever it is. And, and all of these things are, uh, are, are super important. And then you can kind of, again, through this consistency with these few things that we can control, kind of get that feedback loop. So, so that first one, um, you know, as far as like the, the math of the things that we can control from a risk perspective is, is, you know, bet size, right? So the Kelly mm-hmm. criterion and bet size. Um, the next one, or, or, you know, and I would call that R, like what R or risk are we allocating to a trade? Um, the next one is given the, the trade setup that we, we sort of created, let's say, you know, simple math, we're, we're going to risk uh, 10 points and we're going to take profit at 20 points. We have a two to one risk to reward ratio. Given our trade idea and, and the two to one risk to reward ratio, what is our actual win rate when we when we execute this strategy? And so, you know, we did uh, with Oracle Labs, we did a liquidity zone challenge. We, we had uh, just kind of created the new liquidity zones. Mm-hmm. And I did 100 trades, basically never changing my bracket. And in those 100 trades, there were some tough things to sit through. There were some really fun ones that, that you know, went, went really far. And there were some that just kind of slammed right in my face. But the point was, is... I, I didn't change really anything once once we kind of had established what that risk ratio was going to be. And it was a simple two to one with the runner. Mm-hmm. And the runner had the opportunity to kind of come back a little bit, um, but it would always stop at like a one, uh, one to one R. And so I had these trades where I could kind of see from a stat perspective how I was performing. And all of this is important because once we have those stats, once we know what our true win rate is, once we know what our expectation is from a risk to reward perspective, we can find out what our equity curve should look like. And if you don't know what an equity curve is, definitely look up like a Monte Carlo analysis uh, or just equity curve. Um, Because what this does is it says, all right, if I take 500 trades, if I take 1,000 trades, and um, and we run this sort of uh, risk analysis. What are the chances that I run really high and I win a bunch more trades than I should? What are the chances that I run, you know, sort of average or one standard deviation? What are the chances that I run below average or or you know close to um, you know like just like an anomaly loss uh, that that really doesn't have anything to do with you? It's just you know the the sheer law of large numbers in the math. And I think understanding what that equity curve does and looks like when you consistently execute and maintain your stats. Because again, these things that we can manage, I can manage if I move my stop or not and how much that stop loss is. I can manage where I take profit and if I do that early or not. And if my trade is good enough to get to this target that I've established. And once I have all those stats, I can throw it right in this thing. I click the enter button and it's going to spit out what is my expected um, expectancy if I take a thousand of these trades. Mm-hmm. And I think it's 
one, really important for folks to understand what that math looks like, but two, understand what that looks like for you in the long term as far as like how profitable it is. Like, I think a lot of people underestimate how quick you can go from a $50 day and being consistent there to a $100 day, to a $200 day, to a $500 day, to $1,000 days, and so on and so forth. And again, that all comes from consistency and, you know, the experience and the nuance and the, you know, um, the advanced tools and some of that stuff can certainly, you know, help adjust that equity curve uh, a little bit more up to the right. Mm-hmm. But again, like when we're new, let's let's really understand Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. How important it is to check your stats every day and see if you're maintaining your equity curve. If you're supposed to maintain a 40% win rate uh, and you know X amount of risk per trade and X amount of profit for a trade, and you're falling short of that. You need to kind of evaluate your system. And again, it's a great feedback loop. So um, to kind of recap that, Kelly Criterion, um, you know, talks about bet sizing, position sizing, um, and then, you know, sort of that equity curve lets us understand if we execute like this over and over again, how well um, can we expect to perform over a long period of time? So it sort of shows you what are the law of large numbers mm-hmm. so that you don't have to get all caught up in you know, having a Ferrari next month, you can know that you can get the Ferrari, you know, next year, if you perform exactly accurate. I think that's one of the cooler things that I, I just really love about the math of this is that if you control the controllables, uh, the profits sort of are just a byproduct of a great profit. That's very well said. Um, The two equity curves and the Kelly criterion, you sent me some videos on that uh, a couple days ago, I'll make sure that those get put in the episode description. So people can, can learn a little bit more about that. Awesome. Yeah, that's some great content. I, I, I love that stuff. <laughs> it's always learning, right? <laughs> right. Um, you mentioned the uh, liquidity zones challenge again, and they kind of got my brain juices stirring here now. <laughs> Tell me if this is a terrible idea or not. But with the, the levels and stuff that I've been planning out and trying to, to, to try to figure out a way to trade these, would there be any value in just trying to see like maybe for the next week, oh, I'm going to put a, a limit order in the middle of each zone and I'm going to put a take profit at the next zone above and just see how many times that works. Uh, nothing else. Don't try to look at order flow. Don't try to throw in more variables. Just try to s- distill everything down to the zone itself 
Is there, do you think there's any value in trying to do something like that? Uh, so, yes, I think the value. So one, I know it's profitable because I took a hundred of those trades um, and I've seen the equity curve on them. Um, <laughs> two, I, I think it gets you really comfortable with um, understanding that there's certain things where the math can just take over. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably one of those few setups that, um, you know, trading against sort of the trap traders of the liquidity zones. Um, it, it's got just a good enough win rate. Whereas if you don't, if you just buy the ticket, take the ride, um, you know, you're probably going to end up uh, slightly profitable over the, over the long run, if not, um, you know, much more so if you run, if you run pretty well over, you know, say a hundred or something mm-hmm. like that. But um, I, I think what it teaches you is, is the discipline of that, right? Like picking the trades where, where I don't, um, love that idea or, or where I, th- I think maybe we do that. And then we revisit this later with you taking this from the very entry level process of, Hey, here's an automated zone on my chart. I understand, you know, why it's on my chart. And, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, hugely important. Um, understanding that there is offsides, Delta and, and all the things that go into, um, you know, creating that liquidity zone. I'm not talking about the liquidity zones. I'm talking about just my zones that I create in the morning. Oh, your zones. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. I think that's fine. But, but same thing, like un- understanding, you know, why, why those are on the chart, right? Mm-hmm. What you do, you made them and then just uh, maybe taking some arbitrary trades on them uh, on like a two to one and then seeing what that expectancy is, because what you can start to do is this, and this is kind of where I was going with it of, you can see like, okay, on the ones that I got stopped out, you know, how many points of MFE did I have? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, assuming probably it's going to be your max stop, right? So on the ones that worked, how far, how much heat did I have? Did, did it only go two points against me? Did it go three or whatever? You know, like did it come right. one tick for my stop loss? And then you can kind of start to build some nice stats around that. And I think that's a great place, or at least that's how I would start to kind of build some of the nuance around your levels and, and some of the observations. But uh, again, kind of like the thing that I was going to tie back to is then in the future, maybe then we start to make some more advanced observations around those levels um, versus like just blindly clicking in at the front. Right, right. But I think in looking at those levels you've been sending me every day, you, you probably should have been blindly clicking in on the front. I know. Because they've been good. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. They clutch levels. I've been using them to trade options. I think the just taking the decision making out of it and then being able to just observe, not having to stress about where an entry or a take profit is going to be actually sounds like it'd be very helpful to try to oh it's so nice yeah, i can take those two variables out of it then now all of a sudden i can focus on some of the other ones that i can't control and and you'll get to learn that patience of understanding that when you allocated that risk mm-hmm. that you know there might be some things and some observations that later you're like oh cut this one but like i think that's right. more advanced uh, you know like if, if we're going to be making the decision to jump in and out of trades when we're brand new um, and we don't really have that firm understanding of what some of those nuances may or may not actually be. I think to your point, you're probably better off letting it go. Like if we're not smart enough to, <laughs> to make those decisions now, <laughs> what I say the other day, what was my quote? Smart, smart enough to be dangerous, dangerous enough to be dumb. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, let's just, let's just uh, like, let it, let it play out and feel that too. Because, it, you know, I said this when I was doing that liquidity zone challenge, like one of the things that was really funny is like, sweating those trades and learning to just like sit on your hands and just mm-hmm. watch it. And, and, you know, it's, it's a little bit of this like hopeless feeling to the market, but it's also good because 
like my my part of this was done at least since you know like again you're talking about consistency and keep it simple so your your job here is to identify the level through a consistent process yep and then to decide what your risk model is going to be whether it's a two to one or three to one whatever you land on um and then when price shows up, click the button. Yeah, that's it. And then, and then you know, your job is done. The, the, yeah, and then observe and take some notes about you know what are the emotions that you were feeling as price you know pushed away. Did you feel like you wanted to move your stop loss? If you did move your stop loss, would it have worked? How good of that? How good would that have made you feel? Right. You know, like did, does it quickly get to your take profit? Was VWAP in the way? Did did some of the orderful Labs tools fire? And and you know, I mean, maybe you can spend some time focusing on the observations piece and worry less about um, the entry piece. Now, that's not to say that um, waiting for the right spot to enter is is not extremely important because I, I do think it is, but I think it does give you that opportunity, at least for a short period of time, to take that burden off of you and just maybe get accustomed to just clicking the button, clicking the button mm-hmm. and, and kind of hopping in there and taking a little bit of that fear of entry away. That sounds excellent. I think that is what I'm going to do for the rest of this week. I'll be um, watching. So I need to go through the Kelly <laughs> criterion too, and I need to <laughs> I need to come up with a a, a good risk to reward uh, strategy there. The other thing too is you know what what is comfortable, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it just just because one just because a math equation kicks out you know one point two percent of your of your account size doesn't mean that you should trade one point two percent of your account size. If if you're only comfortable trading half a percent, then do that. If you're comfortable trading, you know, 3% and you feel like you've got the skill set to do that, then fine, do that. But, you know, I think you need to also be comfortable with it as well. And I I think that like that that ties back into some of the setups and some of the things that we're going to look at too, of like when we're building this process and we're looking at levels and we're looking at building trade ideas, those should fit into our vision as a trader, our vision as, uh, you know, quality of life and, you know, our reality of what, like, what, what account size do we have? Like, if you're looking to take these monster swing trades <laughs> and you don't have enough margin to carry trades overnight, like, why are you allocating time to looking at swing trades right. that you might bet, like, have to hold for three days and you don't even have enough margin for, you know, <laughs> whatever. You're on Think or Swim and they want $15,000 every night per contract, you know, and, <laughs> you know, you got, you got 10 in your account. Like, what are you doing? Right. So yeah, I think that's a huge factor of it too, of like make these decisions based upon what fits you as a trader. It, you know, we talked about this the other day when we when we were having a conversation. You know, if, if if you work overnight shift and you're trying to make trading work and you get off of work and you run home and you gotta get the kids fed, and then you gotta get the kids out to the bus, and then you're running to your desk and the market opens in five minutes and your main trade setup is an opening range breakout, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to be too successful because you have no idea what's going on. You know, like, <laughs> you're jumping into the market. You've got five minutes. You know, I mean, you should design something, you know, in that case, it's maybe um, you're looking for trades after the IB sets in, right? And, and you know, there's an hour of trading out of the way or, you know, after the first 30 minutes or whatever you do, right? But, you know, jumping in and trading the first 30 seconds uh, after all of that chaos, um, you know, that 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 life can just have from being busy doesn't make a ton of sense. And and I really encourage folks to try to come up with uh, trades and homework uh, and trade ideas that fits into their personality, uh, that plays against their strengths and weaknesses. Um, 
and, you know, also meets the goals that they have, you know, from a, you know, sort of like quality of life perspective, right? And uh, it, that's just as important as, as sort of coming up with this whole framework in and of itself of like, it has to fit you and, mm-hmm. and sort of what, especially what your strengths and weaknesses are. Like, like I know, um, you know, I'll use Leo as an example. Um, he, he talks about overtrading being, you know, one of, one of his weaknesses. And so he always holds one, <laughs> uh, <laughs> one runner at, to, to counteract that. And, uh-huh. and I think that's genius, right? So, you know, first of all, um, then you learn, you know, what it feels like to hold these trades, um, you know, maybe, you know, when you buy that low a day and understand what it's like to hold throughout the whole day and he hits trend days and all those things that happen that are a byproduct of uh, always having a runner. But, you know, I think the the idea, though, is, is that his weakness is he overtrades. So if he can learn to sit into a trade to its full expectancy and then really analyze, OK, when is this trade thesis truly done? All of that will just sort of filter down into other good decision making um, things later. And so then he can learn to maybe hold his core longer, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe it's two runners the next time and all those things. But again, I think it, it comes down to, you know, consistency and in that consistency being honest about who we are, who we want to be as a trader and what are the things that are going to be sort of roadblocks to this process. Uh, we can control a few things. We got the math, we got the position sizing. Uh, we know, you know, what kind of risk and reward we want to do and we can control how much effort we put into finding out the information here. Like a lot of these programs make this stuff super easy to export. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can go into Sierra right now and I can tell you whether I'm better on the long side or the short side. I can tell you whether I'm over trading or under trading. I can tell you, um, you know, what is my win rate? What is my R factor um, and profit factor, um, you know, across this week, this month, right. whatever. And, and it's just a matter of, are you going to actually take the time and allocate some of your process time to taking this information and your efforts to be consistent, to create a process, to be able to get a feedback loop, to actually do something with the feedback. And I think that that's just a, a great place for us to start is those controllables. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, from a mindset perspective, one thing to understand is like starting here and having a conversation like this is going to be so much more beneficial than starting, you know, at the lake house <laughs> and the Ferraris and other people's, other people's successful trading, uh, you know, posts or tweets or, uh, you know, setups, it, you know, just because I can, I can execute a trade uh, in one way, shape or form, you know, and we talked about this, like, I could post a level and say, here's the buy level, here's take profit one, here's take profit two. And all you have to do is actually decide how much risk you're going to take and how much size you're going to put on, and you will not take that trade, but I can easily take that trade all the way to the last take profit. Mm-hmm. And the only difference there is, you know, the confidence that I have in that trade and the, the fact that I've kind of gone through this whole process. But if you just go, oh, look at this, look at this trade setup. He made, you know, $10,000 on that trade. I'm going to do that next time. You're missing all of the, all of the foundation work. You're missing yep. all of this stuff. And so you're going to go, yeah, I can do that. And you're going to click into that trade right where I told you to, right? And you're going to be max size. And it's going to come against you a little bit, or it's going to shoot up, you know, hit take profit one faster than you expected. And and are you going to be prepared for all of those things that come up without doing all this foundational work? And that answer is no. Mm-hmm. And it still is on a regular basis for me on, on a handful of trades, you know, throughout the week, throughout the month. And, and that's why, you know, I love this game and it's just a work in process, but you know, we can't put the fruit before the roots. Like we have to build this foundation and did you just make that up? <laughs> I've never heard that term before. 
can't put the fruit before the roots. Uh, like credit it. to Bob Yaga on that one. You know, we, we have to own that, right? And I think that, that, that that's what this conversation is about. And I think that's where it'll progress to, um, you know, spending the time to nurture this, this process um, and to be honest with ourselves so that later on down this thing, we get to have a little bit more fun, right? We get to, um, once we get that consistency or at least like, rays of hope of consistency, then we can start to kind of like turn the dials of everything that we're doing. But without, you know, building this foundation solidly first, um, you know, I think just everybody's trying out there, turn the dials up, down, sideways, what? you know, bring in some new equipment. And, and you know, we have like, like the, the levels you guys are sending out, Kyle, it's like mm-hmm. very simple volume profile, um, some structure-based stuff, right? Yep. And they're great. You know, that's a great place to start. You don't need, you know, some advanced um, strategy that, that, you know, that's coming in from somewhere. You know, that stuff we can we can bring in later. Um, there's some things that you can certainly do to sort of improve that curve, but, yeah, you know, order full abs. I like what you're saying about just, like, knowing yourself. Like, for me, like, simplicity is better. Like, I know that about me. Like, if the more complicated a system gets, the less likely I am to follow it, at least the way I'm supposed to. And I understand that about myself. Um, other people will have success with those like super complicated, you know, like looking at macro data and trying to fold that in with. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's not me. That's yeah. not me. I'm too smooth brain for that. That's funny. <laughs> but I mean, it, I think the more that we've learned, like as we've been studying this game, is that you can be successful with any number of strategies. It has nothing to do with the strategy. You, mm-hmm. what, where the success comes from is having the discipline to stick with your risk management strategy and to follow your whatever system you decide to, to learn and go with. Like you need to learn that system inside and out. Yeah, and I think that's at the core of what we're saying here, right? Let's, we're, yes. we're promoting this consistency in this process um, in order to be able to get the feedback loop activated mm-hmm. and so that we can kind of be honest with ourselves and the, and the levels that we've created and the decisions that we've made at those levels. And once we can do that and we can be honest about that process and we get good data, we get good feedback, then we can tweak and then we can make adjustments. Is it paying rent? Is it not? Mm-hmm. But, you know, you mentioned uh, complicated systems. And I, I think it's interesting because, you know, I think we build complicated systems and then we simplify the data to be able to use in an easy way. Yeah. What you guys are doing when you get your levels in, it's it's simple to you. Right. But you've built a complex, uh, you've, you've organized complex data in a way that simplifies it so that you can just put some lines in your chart. That's an excellent point. And, and it, it is complex work. And I think that's like, as we're looking at, and, and we dive potentially more into like, what are these areas of interest and how can we generate our own trade ideas and, and areas of interest? You know, a lot of what we do is taking very complex data or very complex ideas or thought processes and try to simplify them so that we can just, you know, create a small zone on our chart or, you know, some, some just area to watch. Uh, Click or don't click. You're trying to boil everything down to do I click or do I not? Do I want to spend money here or not? It, it, no, do I want to allocate risk here or not? And, and you know, some places you want to allocate more. Mm-hmm. Some places you probably want to allocate a little bit less. Right? And, you know, again, that comes back to that feedback loop. But yeah, the complex, simple systems <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and simplifying them because nothing that we do, I think, on a regular basis is simple. I think this, uh, this whole journey, you got to be a little bit crazy to kind of stick with this and, you know, kind of dive through the emotions of, of trading and, and sort of this whole journey of trying to find the educational content, trying to discover yourself and trying to get out of your own way. And then, you know, once you start figuring it out and you make a little bit of money, um, you know, how to stay in the game, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's all about longevity once you can kind of get to that part because you're either trading the open tomorrow or you're not. 
you know, and, and we have that decision for the most part, unless you're just slowly bleeding away and uh, today's your last trade. But, you know, for the most part, you're either trading the open tomorrow or you're not and, and you own that, that responsibility. And, you know, especially with all the math and the stuff that we talked about, you can go through these down, uh, these drawdowns and survive them because you know that this is just a game of uh, large numbers. And so if you just execute consistently and follow your plan and then be honest with your feedback loop and tweak where needed, you know, your success is just a matter of time, not, you know, a matter of of risk that you allocated uh, haphazardly in, you know, in a trade to sort of save something or, you know, because you felt like your back was against the wall or you had to pay rent or all the things that, you know, we, right. we have come up. You, so you're saying, so you're saying doubling every time you lose is not a, a sustainable strategy. Like if I lose one. <laughs> no, Martin Gilling into a hundred bots uh, on a trend day down. Uh, I, although I've done it, uh, maybe not a hundred lots, I've done it. It's just not, uh, it's not, uh, it's not the way to be. It's not sustainable. It certainly isn't. Some, sometimes you do have to pri- provide liquidity as a good friend calls it, but, <laughs> but I think we'll, we'll have that conversation maybe down the road, but that's probably not the foundational, uh, conversation of sometimes traders do have to trade. And I, and I think once you get to that feel spot of trading, um, there's a time and a place to allocate extra risk. Mm-hmm. But that, that's that's definitely a, a more advanced um, thing. And, and there's a way to do that, um, you know, correctly, uh, at the very least, or at least, you know, know about what, what do we do when we find ourselves in those bad situations? And, and how can we, <laughs> right. how can we practice it? Because I don't think we practice it enough, too. Um, and I think that would be a, a great conversation for later as well of like practicing when things go bad, which, which is something that, you know, we do because it goes bad, right? but we don't do it. We don't do it before it goes bad. We're, we're sort of in the moment living with it. Right. Well, let me ask you this. How many people who are generally decent journalers decide to skip those days when everything just goes completely off the rails? Oh man. Cause those are some of the hardest ones to look at. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do the trade, like the trade entry journals, I, and I've shared sort of my journaling style with you guys, mm-hmm. which is more of observations about um, the auction at my levels versus execution. Mm-hmm. Because um, I'm, I'm pretty much just using stats for execution. But <laughs> when 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 you do every trade and you have to make a journal entry, that is a great way to, to eliminate over trading. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, oh, it's like, geez, yep. 26 journal entries today. I just got done getting my teeth kicked in. And now I got to sit at my desk for an hour and a half reliving every one of these bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> How is it statistically possible to lose every single one of those 26 too? And that's, uh, I mean, uh, journaling is, is a, another really big piece of this too. You know, like, like I mentioned, my journaling migrated or, or evolved, I should say, from trade reviews, which I still definitely do, but it's more of like a, a personal conversation with friends around trading. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, uh, like, take a look at the sequence. What do you think about this? Um, versus, uh, you know, kind of that standard, uh, okay, I entered here, what were my notes? What was the success rate? Blah, blah, blah. How many, like all of those things that you can put in. Um, but I think that's a great place to start of like, hey, I took 25 trades a day. Now I got to take the time to write down, you know, all of these trades and 23 of them were, were just terrible and two of them were good. You know, tomorrow you're going to be a lot less inclined to take 23 trades, right. <laughs> or 25 trades, whatever it is, because you got to write them all down. And, and I think that that's a really powerful tool to kind 
kind of work on the overtraining piece, but I, I do think it's beneficial to track, you know, your execution and just some of those stats, you know, whether it's in an Excel spreadsheet or, you know, some of these sites or whatever. But I had a conversation with one of our listeners about journaling not too long ago. And like, he was complimenting us and like how consistent we were doing with the journaling and how he was having trouble trying to keep that consistency. And one of the things that we recommended to him was to just boil it down to something simple that you know you could do day in and day out and start there. Because the important thing is just start. Like as you do it, and you start to see benefit from it, there'll be other stuff that you want to add to it and you're going to start adding to it. And then before you know it, you're going to have like a real full-fledged journal. Well, there's that consistency word again, right? Something that we can right. we can get good feedback and good quality results out of because this thing takes time, man. You just, we spend so much time in the beginning and I still do. I spend a lot of time at my desk and I, I, each day I'm like, that's kind of the new journey. It's like, yeah, you want to make a bunch of money, right? Now I want to spend less time <laughs> making that money. <laughs> yeah, that's like the new metric, right? I feel like that's... Right. That's the evolution of, of watching this stuff. But yeah. I, Do you know what your dollars per hour is? Do you keep track of that? Yeah, I used to, I was a salary uh, salary chef for many years, uh, traveling the country uh, at a bunch of different locations. And so... Oh. Uh, that was my job before this. And um, you never do the math. That was like the running joke. Like if right. you're a salary chef, you never do the math because it's, yeah. it's so bad. This is probably <laughs> one of those jobs uh, when when you get there, the math is probably worth doing. There's some, definitely yes. some fun days where you do that math. You need to know it so you know whether it's worth paying the landscapers $160 to come mow your lawn or not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do I make more sitting at my desk or, or should I go do that? <laughs> I felt really good stopping after a good trade this morning. It was like 730. I'd been trading an hour. I nailed it and hit my profit level. I was like, I could stop. I I got the next hour to do whatever the hell I want. See, there's something to that too. And I think that's like, so that, that contentment piece, I think is another um, big factor of this too. I had this conversation with Baba the other night as well, where um, you need to be okay with with what's possible too. So, you mm-hmm. know, like to your point, you said you were, you know, it was if, what, 15, 30 minutes in the market, you had already hit your target. Like you could sit there at, at your desk for another six hours and, you know, look and hunt for trades. And I'm sure many of them would have come up and who knows what the results would have been. Or you can just say, hey, that was great. Like I'm going to bank this win and I'm going to walk away from this, you know, from this situation today because I'm I'm okay with this amount of money today. I'm okay with this amount of points. I'm okay with um, these stats being added to my larger, you know, sort of feedback loop. And mm-hmm. that's a huge piece because some of my biggest losses and sort of biggest mistakes have come from days that I was massively green. Oh, really? Massively. And uh, in, back in my poker days, we used to call it being upstuck. Uh-huh. Oh, you're trying to get back to the big number because you take one more and then you. Yeah, you know, you were you were up, you know, you were up 100 points and now you're only at 80. So now your next trade. You're trying to get that 20 back. You got to so make that 20. Nice round yeah. number. <laughs> yep. But then you're just back to the 100. So maybe you try to hold it for, you know, 120 points in the same trade. Now it's comes against you. And, you know, and the, all the things that happen, man, it's like uh, it. It's that curse of like, just, you know, just five more minutes, right? Or, you know, just one more trade or whatever that we do. So I think being content and, and knowing what that, what that level is for you, um, I think is a huge, you know, piece of this as well. And, and knowing yourself too around some of those areas, like, you know, if you're not going to be content unless you make a thousand dollars a day, 
you better build a strategy that makes it pretty easy to make a thousand dollars a day that right. you shouldn't be hitting home runs in order to get to a thousand dollar day if that's what it takes for you to be content and what is what goes into that contentness is it because you have bills to pay is it because you have some mental you know goal in mind uh, or some you know thing you're saving for or whatever whatever it is you know I think that's a huge piece of that and and it should be a big factor because if you hit that spot and then you lose the next trade that you take being able to say, yeah, you know, good enough. You know, like the, the trade should be why you execute and the setup, not some goal. And goals are great to have, like, you know, a thousand dollars I made today or whatever that is. Like that's a great goal to have, right? But it shouldn't drive whether or not you take another trade if you're at $900. Right. <laughs> like, oh, I, I need one more trade to get, uh, you know, make a hundred dollars profit so I can have a four figure day. That is a terrible reason to take a trade. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah. Like, like, it's funny because we, we all talk about that, right? I can hear it in your voice. Like we've all yeah. done it. Like, oh, of course and, we have. Yeah, guilty as can be. <laughs> trying to get to these numbers are just like, you know, it's so silly that you chase these round numbers when you should be chasing probabilities and setups. And so I think that 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 all comes from being content with, hey, I took four trades today. These were great. I took one trade today and it might not get any better than that. And what a cool opportunity to have a dollar amount in my account that I'm satisfied with and go do something with my day because I've chosen this occupation where I have the freedom to do that. Got to take advantage of it when you can, right? That is a huge thing. I mean, I, you guys, we were chatting on, uh, you know, what was last Friday and I think it was, you know, 30 minutes into the day. So, all right, have a good day, guys. Yep. <laughs> was the, that was the trade idea. I did it. So let's go, yep. you know, right. go enjoy the weekend, start the weekend. Yeah. And that that's a huge benefit. And so, you know, if, if you're, if, if we're not always going to be crushing it, we're not always going to be making, you know, millions of dollars and Ferraris and lake houses, we might as well enjoy a three-day weekend that starts at 845 sometimes. <laughs> right. You're right. Uh, because you <laughs> nailed the short, right? Yeah. And just let it go. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge piece of it. Well, what, uh, what do we got on tap for next month then? And what should we be doing to prepare for that? Those of us following along. I think one of the things that we will do in this um, journey here is we're going to start to look at how the market sort of moves around. We're going to take some in-depth looks at um, some setups and setup ideas. And, you know, I think I've shared this on, on this, um, on this show previously that one of the books that was really important to me and, and really understanding that foundation was markets and profile. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think um, what I, what I'd encourage folks to do is as a takeaway, look at this as a good place to build a foundation of understanding how markets move. Because if we're going to create consistent levels, and we're going to try to build those levels day in and day out, and some of those levels may already be coming from market profile, but um, it's going to be really important to understand how does the market auction in and around my levels. And I think a great place to do that is from markets, uh, market auction theory, or from the book Markets and Profile. And so, um, you know, Take that book, uh, you know, focus on a few things. Look at look at some of the notes about auction theory, um, about you know laggard traders and early adapters, um, excess in auctions, uh, balance and imbalance, which will be a huge piece, I think, for almost anybody's trading and, and understanding that markets are constantly moving from a state of balance to imbalance. Um, what does value mean? Um, and, and fair value can be found whether you're using volume profiling or TPOing. Um, you know, and, and just really, again, 
understanding what kind of market are we in, which is huge. Are, are we in a trending market right now? Are we in a balancing market? Um, is this market uh, in a state of distribution or accumulation? Um, is it a B-shaped profile, P-shaped profile? All of these things that kind of are covered in this book from a general perspective, as well as some specifics, I think are a great place to start to learn some of the very simple nuanced patterns that we can start to observe around our levels. And, and again, another great sort of foundation to put into our process that we're going to build as we go through this journey together. Are there any uh, YouTube videos that you guys have that, that talks about some of those two that we can link? Uh, not with markets, uh, market profile specifically, but Job does have a great video on volume profiling. A lot of the same concepts apply as far as like um, high value areas uh, or high volume areas, low volume areas, nodes, whatever you want to call them. So I, I would certainly check that one out. And, um, it, you know, Dalton, uh, who, who wrote Markets and Profile, has a, a bunch of great content. Uh, and there's there's a ton of content available um, on YouTube around market, uh, market Profile. So All right. And then going forward, too, we're also going to be taking uh, listener questions. This is the first episode, so didn't really have anything <laughs> prepared for that. But uh, <laughs> going forward... Up. Yeah. Going forward, if anybody doesn't have any questions they want to pose to Flarry, uh, please feel free to email us at two bulls in a china shop or two bulls at financialineptitude.com. That's the number two bulls. Uh, and they can also message us directly uh, through Discord too. I think we'll be creating a channel in our Discord just specifically for this series. Very cool. Do I, are you guys going to invite me to that Discord ever? Or is this, oh. <laughs> is this just <laughs> well, that awkward so. moment where, I, where I'm like, is that the secret Discord? You, you <laughs> always <laughs> look like it, do not disturb. I didn't want to, I didn't want to presume. <laughs> <laughs> all right dan wrap this up we're starting to ramble okay thank you thank you thank you flary this has been great i uh, can't wait to get to the next one but uh you know unfortunately we do got to close up shop for the moment but don't worry we'll be coming back at you soon with more episodes of two bowls and shine shop and more episodes of back to the futures uh until next time happy trades bye take care guys Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.